Hey guys and welcome back to the Back to Gold podcast. My name is Cameron Smith and I will be your host today as ever. Um, slightly ill this week um, and just like me, another person who's slightly ill is my co-host Jamie Monk. So a little bit under the weather, aren't we both? Yeah, you know, I just woke up this morning and was a little bit worse for wear, we'll say. Uh, don't really know what it's down to, to be honest. Yeah, something the house has got clearly. Um, so not ideal. But something that has been ideal has been the World Cup football that we've been watching um, since the start, the opening game, uh, Qatar versus Ecuador, that we spoke about in our most recent episode. Um, but now all you know, all the group games are now done. Well, the first set of group games are now done. Each team has played once. We've seen what every team is like, uh, at least their opening showing, and what can we we can perhaps expect from them for the rest of the tournament. So a lot to learn, uh, a lot of lessons that would have been learned for future the managers and. Plenty of talking points for us to, to delve into. If you have listened to the most recent episode, you'll know that we delved into Qatar versus Ecuador uh, and also went through a few of our hot takes for this World Cup. Um, and we'll be doing sort of roundup uh, episodes, I guess, after each set of games. So, you know, the first set of games have been done. So here comes your episode. Um, and obviously, like I said, we've spoken about Qatar versus Ecuador, so we won't delve into that anymore because we've had a whole episode on it so if you haven't listened to the episode um go and go back and listen to that uh, after this one so you know our thoughts on that game um but the other game in group a is where we will start we'll get st- stuck in why don't we um and it's senegal versus netherlands obviously a 2-0 win for louis van Gaal's side cody gakpo and davy Klaassen with the goals um both pretty late on um and in all in all really it was a quite a poor game to be fair yeah, when did Clarkson score? Right at the end. Did he? <laughs> he didn't know that. That's a good start. That is... Wow, that has really gone over me. We watched the game together. I do do not remember David Clarkson <laughs> getting on the score sheet. I thought it was just Cody Gakpo. <laughs> you actually just didn't... You switched off, did you? The uh, After Gakpo's goal? Yeah, basically. Clearly. I mean, I, I remember you know, Senegal early on were fairly on, on top of the Netherlands. They, they sort of controlled them early exchanges, but... What? It's not a good look for you. That is a disaster, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, Gakpo's goal came courtesy of uh, you know a nice little header from him, a flicked header, Frankie de Jong's cross um, that he flicked past Edouard Mendy, and the second was you know Memphis Depay's sure and goal, his shot parried by Mendy into the path of Klaassen, and you know really Mendy is kind of at fault for both of these goals. Really, the first one, if he comes for it like he does. He probably has to come and get the ball. He probably has to come and punch it clear and not let Gakpo get ahead in it because as soon as Gakpo gets there first, it's always going to be a goal. And then for Klaassen's one, yeah, the save from you know, the shot from Depay, I mean, is is not particularly difficult to deal with. It's not he's not hit it with much power. It's not what you'd expect from Memphis, to, uh, you know, one on one with a keeper. But you know, Mendy doesn't really hold it. He powers it straight into the danger zone where Klaassen's there to tap in, and it's just disappointing for Mendy, who's obviously been dropped as number one at Chelsea and. It's continued a little bit of, of poor form, poor form from him. Who, you know, he's gone from pretty much a, an unknown player to being voted FIFA best goalkeeper um, of the year in 2021 to being, you know, second choice at Chelsea and a liability really. I mean, when your form's that bad that Kepa can get back into the team, you know, it's a horrible look for you as a keeper. You're in you know pretty horrid form, and on that second goal, which I do remember, by the way. Just a moment there where I just completely forgot. Yeah, the, the parry isn't great. He's got to palm that out a lot better or just hold on to it. 
Yeah, it's not a particularly difficult shot to deal with, and he does make a mess of it, really. Like, it is his fault, and the first goal is less his fault. I mean, he's a good good cross and header from Gakpo, but I, I still think that if he comes for that, you've got to make contact, really, because mm. you've put yourself into a... You have to get there or it's going to be a goal, so he probably would have been safer just staying on his line, really. Um, Trying to back yourself to save it just on, on the goal line, basically. Yeah, Um and another thing I wanted to point out was obviously we expected it and it happened. Cody Gakpo playing at number 10. Um, it was what we imagined Van Gaal would do because he did it in the last international break. But I just want to get your thoughts on Gakpo at 10, how how he played. Obviously he got the goal um, through sort of a late run from deep. And what are your thoughts on him uh, in the game and just playing number 10 in general? I thought he was okay. Nothing crazy. I, I've, I've seen him have better games. I've seen him have a lot worse games as well in that um, that playoff game against Rangers in the Champions League. Um, but when Depay's not starting as well, uh, I, it was just a bit confusing for me, to be honest. I, I would have preferred Depay in that 10 role, Gakpo maybe playing up top where he can get his, his you know direct runs in behind. Would you, obviously Depay didn't start. It was Janssen and Bergwijn up top, which is slightly surprising. Really, you'd imagine Depay would have been the main man, but do you think that that is what you'd do? You'd have Depay deeper and Gakpo as the one in the front two with Janssen or Bergwijn or whatever? I think I would. I think probably Janssen was a passenger the entire game, to be honest. I, I couldn't quite believe I was seeing him starting at a World Cup game, if I'm being completely honest. Um, so yeah, going forward, Depay probably has to start. Yeah, I think he starts, obviously... I think he will start in the front too, but interesting. You think he should he should be the one that drops deeper and Gakpo pushed forward. Well, I, I just think, I just think in terms of functionality, Gakpo can stretch the defenses a lot better than Depay, and I think Depay works better between the lines. Depay would always drop deep to be fair to come yeah. and get the ball. Is, yeah, I suppose that makes sense. And then he's sort of getting in the way of Gakpo, which is potentially potentially why I don't know if if Van Gaal would rather play Gakpo than Depay, and maybe thought Bergwijn and Janssen is. Those two would work better with Gakpo. Maybe that's the reason why he started upon the bench, but I can't believe that'll be a strategy going forward because Janssen and Bergwijn up top didn't really do much and Senegal were pretty comfortable for the most part in this game. Um, something else I wanted to note was just the, the back three for Netherlands. Obviously, we know they're going to play back three. That's what Netherlands do internationally and it's what Van Gaal does as well, especially when he's in charge in Netherlands. Um, but for both of us, we pointed out the delict playing right centre-back. Obviously, it was De Ligt, Van Dijk and Ake in the back three. And, I mean, De Ligt, you know, as a wide centre-back in a back three... Uh, Gets exposed. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, yeah, we both don't think it's a, a, a something that really should be happening just because of his lack of mobility and ability to turn. Um, when he gets going, he's not, like, slow, but he does take a while to turn. Mm. And, and it's, it's, a a, it's a change of direction as well, which is a huge problem. When you're out defending them, them one-on-one -on -one situations out wide, you're going to be coming up against a pretty sh nimble, shifty winger most of the time. And that's where he's definitely not comfortable whatsoever. I think he was fortunate that Mane wasn't playing because if, yeah. if he was, I think that could have been you know, really dangerous to the Netherlands. And I think the question is that, I mean, I think we both agree that it probably would have been better off whether Ake deserves to be dropped or whatever, but it probably would be better having Van Dijk as the left centre-back. Obviously, can play there. De Ligt in the middle and, and Urien Timber on the right because then you just have... At least you play De Ligt in the middle and he's sort of... Protected yeah, a little nullified bit. nullified the weaknesses that he has in his game. Plus, Timber is just a really good player and I think he's better than Ake already. Mm, but I, I think a little part of that, the, the, the reason he's not done that is due to you know Van Dijk. You want him at the centre to sort of 
run the game almost in terms of spraying them long passes. It, it's, it's more impactful on the ball if he's at the centre. But would you just, in that case, would you start Ake, Van Dijk and just Timber and just drop the Ligt? Uh, yeah, honestly, probably. Yeah, I think I'd, that would I'd, work better. Yeah, I think that because if they, I don't know if they're going to draw France in this tournament, but if they did, you can imagine Mbappe Vizelict is could be something that really Horrid. gets yeah exposed, and, yeah. and Tim will be slightly better equipped for dealing with that. I feel, um, but yeah, Netherlands obviously got away with one in this game, I think, because Senegal did, like you mentioned earlier, did control the early stages. I think one thing that was interesting was it just a Ghana game pretty much playing as a number 10. He was basically given licence to push forward and, and press, really, from the front with um, Kuyate and Nampolis Mendy sitting deeper, which is mm. strange to see, like, yeah. just a gay pushing forward so much. I'm not sure it really plays to his strengths, but I guess in terms of pressing Netherlands high up, which is maybe what Senegal wanted to do, he suits that, but yeah. in terms of creativity, it's not ideal. Yeah, but it's, it's sort of what, um, you know, Southgate does for England. He puts Mount, who's, you know, a defensive presser basically in, in the 10 role he, he's not there for on the ball ability is he he's just there to win the ball high up and press I'm not going to nibble on that uh, on the ball Why? Mason Mount ability but also Southgate played a 4-3-3 not a 4-2-3-1 and just uh, Mount didn't play 10 so well, he, he played higher up than Bellingham and Rice didn't he well Let's higher, be... higher than Rice not than Bellingham they played the same yeah. Bellingham got to the box and scored yeah, but Bellingham's just always going to naturally do that because he's Bellingham. But I, th- I think he was deeper than Mount. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> we'll go on to Group B then and we'll start with England. We'll carry on that England chat. Um, and we might as well start with just how good England were in general just because so far in terms of the you know match day one fixtures... England was certainly one of the more impressive teams. You see someone like Argentina, who we'll come on to later, stumble. Um, but England had no such worries against Iran, who were really disappointing, considering you know they're in the top 20 in the world rankings. They didn't really show up. Obviously, still managed to grab two goals, but they conceded six. And England were, from the get-go, completely dominant. And it looked like the 4-3-3 worked. Obviously, you said they play about four against um, Iran. Um, and it worked. It was interesting that it was more of a four-three-three than a four-two-three-one. I'm not sure if you agree, but that is what it was with Bellingham as a right centre mid and Mount as a left centre mid, um, right right sitting. Um, and it looked like there was fluidity in the attack, which is something that you haven't really been able to say about England in the past year, really. No, definitely not. Um, it was a weird game to start off with. Obviously, you have that huge stoppage for the goalkeeper against. <sighs> yeah. Absolutely whacked in the face by his own man. Tries to carry on, which is just never going to carry ridiculous. on. Ridiculous. Um, but you know, wasted 14 minutes of time, which is you know pretty pretty good going in any other World Cup apart from this one, where every single stoppage will be added on at, uh, in in added time. Um, so you know, we made him pay basically, didn't we? Yeah. You're going to time waste. So we're going to stick six on you. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do quite like the added time. Uh, no, I'm a, I'm a fan of it. Because actually. the ball is always in play for like 55 minutes, even in the best of games, really. Um, and I think that it you know, you know, know discourages time-wasting. Um, and I think it's a good thing, and it means you get to watch more football at the end of the day. So mm. what's not to like? And I think that England were good, whether they're tournament, one of the tournament favourites now. I mean, I suppose they are, but they, they've probably not elevated themselves to 
the status of the favourites to win the tournament. Um, but they did look very good. Obviously, I think we were, you know, pretty nervous going into the game, thinking that Iran could get something out of this because we've seen England play over the last year. But from you know the get go, they were very, very good, and I think that started with. You know the centre back pairing. Obviously, it was a back four with Stones and Maguire, and I think you probably want to highlight Maguire's role in the first goal. Obviously, that line breaking pass into Mason Mount, which is something that Maguire and Short and Stones, to be fair, um, have just in their locker, which is a really good asset for England when trying to break down deep blocks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, when you've got two centre backs who are so accomplished at that feat, but maybe not other stuff. Uh, you know, Maguire, we, we we can sort of criticise it a lot. You know in general but not in this game I don't think or this half into the first half in particular um, because you know the, the, the pass he gives in into Mount is just what, he, what he's done uh, you know when he's been at his best especially for England I remember in the Euros as well he did a couple of those sort of types of line breaking passes in, in the final to really cut open Italy and we saw it again for that first goal and then Mount obviously lays it off to Sterling, Sterling to Shaw. gives it to Shaw and it's great to see Luke Shaw you know back to is is absolute best for England as well because there was a time at the start of the season where Molassi was you know first choice. It looked like he was you know dead and buried, but once again that little bit of competition has just given that that kick up the backside for him, and you know we're seeing the best best of Lukey Boy again. Do you think if Chua hadn't been ruled out the World Cup through injury, Southgate would have started Chua? Or do you think Shaw just the form <sighs> in the last couple of weeks at United meant he would have started anyway? I think I think probably. Chilwell still would have started, I think. But obviously, Shaw's been thrust back in because of that injury. And he's relished the pressure. Because I think, in games leading up to it, I think it was still Chilwell was the one who was fancied. Southgate definitely likes Chilwell, I think, a lot more. Not a lot more than Shaw, but in the build-up to this, a lot more. But, you know, Shaw's taken his opportunity now, and I think, you know... Is, is he the GOAT? Yes. <laughs> um, one thing I think to note is obviously the attack has been something that's been worrying for England in the Nations League since the Euros final. But one thing that wasn't you know noticeable was how good a lot of the finishes were. Like Bellingham's header, that's a difficult skill to pull off. The Saka volley, very good. Obviously took a slight deflection, but still impressive technique. Sterling's finish was just like, wow. Like seriously, seriously yeah. good finish. Um, and the like. So I think that... You know, Southgate were pleased. Obviously, showed the ability to break down a team like Iran, but also then showed they can hit on the counter attack with Grealish's goal, for example, and, and Rashford's goal. So there's variation in the England attack, which is obviously nice to see. Um, the only problem is that Harry Kane, obviously injury concern. It looks like he's going to be okay, but mm. it is worrying that first game of the World Cup, he goes down with an ankle injury and still manages to play on for another 20 minutes or so before he's actually taken off. When you know he's got. Like serious ankle problems. Yeah, and we're also leading the game f- not four or five two at that point. Um, but I think the, the reports are that he's okay. But we've seen that before, sort of at the Champions League final against Liverpool, where he's been injured in the build-up and he sort of played through it in the game and you know come off looking like an absolute idiot, basically. Um, he, is, he is someone who will always try and be fit for games, even yeah. if he's maybe not one hundred percent and it. 
deep down he probably knows he's not 100%, but he wants to you know try and play through it anyway, and that could potentially that throw, throw up some issues. Yeah, that was what probably happened actually in the game. Yeah. He probably went down and thought, oh, I'd still want to carry on playing. It's the first game of the World Cup. I want a stat pad because we're winning <laughs> 200 nil. I want, I want to get in on the act. Well, one person who did stat pad with a, you know two consolation yeah. goals, what a transition that was. Uh, it was Mehdi Teremi, who bra- bagged a brace. Um, if you uh, have listened to our previous World Cup um, episodes, you'll know that Jamie predicted that Teremi would be the top goal scorer in Group B. Um, at the moment, he is a joint top scorer in Group B with Bukayo Saka. Um, obviously, grabbed a penalty and a goal before then for Iran. Um, well, it looks like your prediction is... You, know, you did say it was score one or two against England as well. Yes, I did. I, I said two against England, one against Wales, one against USA. But the problem is I haven't predicted Iran to qualify. So the key is Wales tomorrow basically need to score five or six and then Teremi just needs to do it again. Yeah. Just a nice just a nice little steady stat pad. That could be a very, very good prediction mm. by the end of the group stages. Well, yeah, no, we've we've seen, you know, he's been a fairly Consistent and you know goal scorer for Porto um, over the last year or so, so it, I don't think it was outrageous to to say he'd score goals in this tournament. No, I don't think so. I mean, it just in terms of expecting Iran to score two against England was I don't know maybe a little unrealistic. bit bold. Yeah, because England you know winning scoring six goals, you Southgate would be disappointed to have conceded two. You would have probably rather a four 0 win yeah. than a six two win. Um, but yeah, well, that prediction is looking pretty good right mm. now. And you know, the, the first goal, pretty, pretty. I mean, maybe Pickford could do a little bit better, mm-hmm. but he lashes it in, you know, pretty, pretty prolifically. Yeah. Nice little alliteration there for you. Um, and I just think he's going to win the World Cup. He's going to win the World Cup. Nice. Um, and the second game in Group B was obviously a one-all draw between USA and Wales, and. It was a bit niche, but it was a game of two halves. Uh, And the substitution changed that game. Obviously, um, Timothy Ware put the US 1-0 up. Obviously, a run through the middle from Pulisic, and then the the bursting run in behind from Ware is... That was a good goal. I really um, like that goal. It's such a good run. Nico Williams is half-tracking him, and he looks over his right shoulder, Nico Williams, but when he's done that, Ware's already burst inside him, and then there's no chance of him catching him. Mm. The finish is nice as well, isn't it? It's very nice. I I really enjoyed watching that goal, because... Timothy Weyer, he's not, he's not like the most prolific player, and he's not the most technically gifted. I think, but he's got that in his locker. He's got that devastating movement in between centre back and full back, or in this case, wing back. Um, and the finish as well on this occasion was pretty, pretty devastating. Yeah, and like I mentioned before, though, it was a substitution that changed the game. Wales started the game without Kiefer Moore. Slightly surprising considering how they've played in qualifying and they went for a 5-3-2 with, with Harry Wilson in midfield um, and a front two of Dan James and Gareth Bell and to be fair to Dan James he didn't really have a, a great first half mm. it was the ball just wouldn't stick and it's, it's perhaps not a fault of his because that isn't his game and if anything he would have thrived with Kiefer Moore there to you know, win flick-ons and, and, the, and the likes to have sort of a, a big target man next to him so he can use his pace in behind but he was the one who got taken off at half-time and Wales looked a completely different you know team with Kiefer Moore they were able to go long um, even with the US press I think in the first half the USA would, would press and Wales would think, oh, we can't go long to Dan James sometimes in terms of playing it to his feet. He's not going to hold up. And if every time they did, they'd lose it. Um, and Keith Moore came on and just changed it all, didn't he? Mm. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think the, the first half, when I was watching it at the time, I just thought this occasion, you know, how long has it been? 58 years? Or yeah. was it since 58? So. 64. 64 years. 64 years since you know, the last World Cup game. I, I think perhaps that uh, there was early exchanges. They were maybe a little. Maybe the occasion could have just got the, maybe the better of them because I just thought that they were pumping it long, just panicking all the time, not trying to you know try and build out whatsoever. And then in that second half, perhaps because you know USA's legs tied a little bit, they were able to play a lot more football and basically be the better team in the second half. Yeah, I do think Keith Moore was just incredibly good. Like he just mm. for such a big man, he does have really tidy feet. And oh, yeah, any time yeah. it went up to him, you never thought that he was going to lose it it could be a, a, hot, a hoof upfield and he'd make something of it he'd make he'd, it he'd, stick yeah he'd get them 30-40 yards up the pitch just mm. by himself and that just changed the game and it meant Wales were able to play in the US half which is something they just couldn't do at all in the first half like it was all played in their own half whether that was their possession or the USA possession um, and they started testing the US back line which is something we you know, pointed out was pretty weak You know, it wasn't Carter Vickers who started at centre back but it was Tim, Tim Ree and it was Zimmerman um, and Zimmerman was the one who considered the penalty oh, a really rash so stupid. Si- silly challenge on Bale who was just going nowhere yeah. like going away from goal you've you, you shepherd him away from goal and to make a challenge dive in is just yeah not a good decision at all and then obviously Bale stepped up pretty fortunate to be fair to score because Matt Turner gets a hand on it and pushes yeah. it in the corner definitely not one of Bale's best pe- penalties but you know, as he always does for Wales, steps up in the big moments, and it was only ever going to be bad. I think he was going to score sort of an equaliser in this game for mm. Wales, and we were watching it with our, you know, Welsh house mate. He was going pretty mental when that happened. I think that was the sense of relief for for Wales fans. Obviously, a massive occasion, like you mentioned before, sort of a long, long time since they've been in the World Cup, and to come away with a defeat would have been pretty demoralising because it is the kind of game that, you know, decides who goes through really, yeah. probably uh, along with England and. To lose that game would have almost been like, yeah, that's qualif- you know, chances of qualification over, um, and you know they're still very much alive, and it will be interesting to see how they play against Iran, whether they can, you know, get the win. Yeah, uh, I think now, the the way the group set up, it is a case of goal difference will probably win you that second spot when it comes to Wales or USA. Uh, it's it's how many you can put on. Iran, no, no disrespect towards Iran, but you know, first, the first game they were pretty shocking. Not um, and how sounds a bit, bit overconfident when I say this, but how little you can lose to England. I yeah. mean, maybe tomorrow USA, you know, put three on us and I'd come back crying. But um, I think the one thing that goes in Wales' favour as well is that they play England last. If yeah. obviously, if they beat Iran and, and England beat yeah. the US, then. US go into that Iran game having to win and England will be through so there's a chance they rest players and Wales might there's, be there's a window there for yeah. Wales to maybe snatch something yeah exactly um, but yeah Wales will if, if Rob Page doesn't start keeping more against Iran then I'll be very very surprised yes. because that would you know him in the team and him out of the team Wales look completely different so he's the difference maker for them and we just can see how if he can make a similar impact against Iran <laughs> We'll go on to Group C then, and uh, the shock of the tournament so far, shock I guess. In, the shock of World Cup history. Yeah, people uh, are saying. That's what the, um, the stats, the, the statisticians said, wasn't it? Yeah, in terms of world ranking and everything like yeah. that. Obviously, Argentina losing 2-1 to Saudi Arabia. Um, pretty, 
remarkable because the start of this game was, you know, Argentina didn't look great. I was, you know, watching this game and thinking there is little options for them because Rodrigo de Paul and Paredes were sort of dropping next to the centre-backs and then there was just no options in midfield and the only option was to go long and that did sort of play into Saudi Arabia's hands because they played such a high line that they just caught Argentina offside. Obviously, Lautaro Martinez scored two offside goals. The first one initially was given and ruled out for VAR. The second one was just flagged offside by the linesman. Obviously, that second goal was the Lautaro you know, scored that was ruled out was incredible. It was literally like a carbon copy of Mbappe's against, um, against Real Madrid at Courtois at the Bernabeu. Yes. It does the yes. step over and yeah, it was so nice, but obviously didn't count. And then Messi scores a penalty, uh, and it looks like Argentina are just gonna settle in and you know get their World Cup tournament underway and and keep that unbeaten run going. But Saudi Arabia managed to end their 36 match unbeaten run um, with an, an incredible second half. Argentina had 70% possession, but you know that didn't matter. Saudi Arabia were clinical. The goals, the first one. Messi loses it on the halfway line. Romero's then just really flat-footed, isn't he? Oh, it's so bad. It's, <laughs> uh, you don't expect that from Romero. Yeah, I mean, since, since he's come to Tottenham, he's been you know one of the best centre-backs in the league, I think. Yeah, I agree. But it's just it, it reminds me of you know a, a little bit of Upamecano's flat-footed defending, just so static and lackadaisical. Yeah, and El Shari. You know, scores that one, but it is a good finish. Left footed finish. finish. Yeah. Martinez can't really get nearer. I, I think he's perfectly put that in the bottom corner. I yeah. think it, it's, it's a, it is a hard angle. Martinez is obviously a good keeper so to get it past him there, fair play. And then the second goal is obviously very special from Aldasari. Mm. Um, I mean, it is poor defending from Argentina. There's about three instances where they should clear it. I mean, yeah, and the Molina sort of freezes when the ball's oh, in the air. Back, just like lets it bounce inside his yeah. own penalty area. It just lets him pluck it. Uncontested, which is just uh, yeah laughable. Yeah, and then he just you know Aldashari cuts inside and just whips one top corner, and it's just the scenes there are incredible. Yeah. The Saudi Arabian commentary is brilliant. If you haven't seen that, go and watch it. Um, obviously, Saudi Arabia have come into this. I think you know expecting well, people expected them to finish bottom of this group. I think we we said. Um, uh... Did we say that? Uh, I can't remember. I actually. said I said Saudi Arabia third, actually. I said Mexico bottom. Potentially. Uh, go and check our World Cup preview to check if that is true, mm. if you haven't listened already. Um, obviously, they did top their qualification. They, they finished their group ahead of Japan. Um, so there's certainly no mugs in this game. They were good. The high line was risky strategy, but in the end, it paid off because... The goals that Argentina scored using that were ruled offside, so mm. it worked perfectly. It's a strategy that obviously is you know high risk, high reward, but they got the high reward of beating one of the tournament favourites two one mm. in the opening game. And uh, one thing I think I would like to note is the Otamendi Lissandro debate. Obviously, Otamendi started at left centre back and instead of Lissandro Martinez. And I do think Argentina struggled to play out really a lot of the time. There was just it didn't seem like they were particularly comfortable. And I just think that maybe if Lissandro Martinez had played there, his ability to play out from the back and find those passes that are, you know, you've got like an inch to make it work mm. in between it and you've got to find the perfect pass. And he has that in his lock on, I think. He's, he's one of the best in the world right oh, now. completely, yeah. And I think maybe if, maybe obviously it's complete hindsight, but maybe if he had played, they might have been able to build out from the back better and not relied on going long and getting caught offside. Mm. I just think right now... 
and I, I knew going into this tournament that Otamendi would have been fancied, and I, I definitely agree that Lissandro should be playing in that uh, that LCB role. But also, they did technically have a goal rule. One of the offside goals was technically not actually offside, and it was a mistake in the technology. What what the the first Lautaro? The first Lautaro. I thought it was it was on his uh, his shirt sleeve was no because they they they, they compare that to uh, the centre back but it's actually the the left back who's playing him up. Oh really? Oh, have you not seen that? that? No, I must have missed that. I swear we were talking about this. I don't remember talking about this. No, I I know what I know the images that his shirt sleeve is offside um, from the technology office. The ball has got it's what they use in the Champions League now where the ball has the chip uh, in it so it's all you know automated. automated yeah it's all AI now isn't it yeah. that's what um, our good mate Peter Walton was saying yeah on ITV <laughs> so on a different day obviously you think Argentina do probably you know get over the line because they're 2-0 up before half time but you know that, that's, that's football for you isn't it yeah. and also the fact that Saudi Arabia did have what three three attempts they scored yeah. two of them yeah. clinical yeah now, that doesn't always happen <laughs> I, th- I think obviously Argentina were one of the favourites coming into this, and now this is sort of f- for the masses sort of expose them as potential, you know, early group exit. I don't think that's the case. I think you think they still make it for. I mean, we'll get on to Mexico, Poland in a in a second, but neither of those sides were particularly good. So yeah. you'd, you'd hope that Argentina would be able to beat both of them. Really, I, I, I think I think this is just a little a little blip in what's going to be. Messi's coronation. So just calm down, everyone. Yeah, Messi wasn't great though. Wasn't no, he, great. no, he wasn't. And, and uh, Di Maria also was not great whatsoever. Yeah. He's he's someone who now has lost all that sort of burst, uh, that physicality that he once had. It's quite sad to watch him try and dribble past players actually. But it's still coming home to Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just lastly, with this result, obviously on three points, topping the group so far. Do you think Saudi Arabia are now? You know, likely to go through because you know the day they one point probably won't be enough more, but they could easily beat Mexico, Poland, probably. I, th- I think watching the other two in the group, I think Saudi Arabia can have great com- confidence of of going through, which would be huge for them. Yeah, nice. Uh, and obviously, we just mentioned it there, Mexico, Poland, a nil nil. Obviously, we've had a lot of nil nils uh, in this group stage. I think I saw a stat that there's as many. Uh, after the third nil-nil that we had in the space of you know only a couple of games, that was as many as seventy games in the World Cup before then. So obviously, why do you think that goals is? Are at prim- I mean, the v- VARs obviously not helped Argentina, but that's not the same here. I, I don't know if it's teams are being cagey, teams are if it is just complete luck. But the games, I maybe the heat is playing a factor potentially in terms of players not mm. not running as much maybe I, I don't think that's I mean, quite the, true the, the, the aircon is on the pitch yeah, it's not the, as hot as the actual temperature around the stadium oh right okay um, you think that's what it is because Martin Cairn was saying I was wearing a jumper in commentary yeah, in, so, in the Brazil game yeah so there's, there's aircon pitch side um, I'm not really sure why there's less goals in this tournament so far maybe it's just a blip we've seen some great games with a lot of goals so maybe it's just coincidental and teams just sort of matching each other up um, and that isn't helping the goal situation uh, maybe the mid-season thing isn't helping yeah I, I, I think know. I think in my mind what it is is most teams have had one week to prepare in terms of yeah yeah from the European season ending to yeah their, their last time together as a squad was 
September. Um, and getting attacking patterns of play, I, I find anyway, like we're coaching attacking patterns of play is a lot harder than setting up defensive that, blocks. That's why like t- managers come in and immediately make the defence better like Tuchel yeah. did at Chelsea when he came in. It was yeah. fix the defence because it's easier to coach than fixing the attack. Yeah, um, I, I just think setting up a defensive rigid structure is just a lot easier than you know actually trying to break it down. Yeah, completely. I completely agree and, with that. And that, that's what we're seeing in games, isn't it? It's yeah. just one team sitting and another team failing to break through. Yeah, and there was obviously one massive chance in this Mexico-Poland game Robert Lewandowski steps up to take the penalty and Ochoa for, you know, yet again in the World Cup, you know, steps up and uh, saves Mexico. Obviously, he's been banded around Twitter, everywhere I go is seeing Ochoa from when that moment happened and fair play to him because every time he seems to put on a Mexico shirt at the World Cup, he does perform very, very weirdly well for a player who hasn't had a particularly great, great club career. Club yeah. career. But strangely, it's just like a folk hero for all World Cup watchers. And for Lewandowski, it was just a poor penalty, wasn't it? It wasn't good. Um, yeah, I think we'll talk about penalties that I thought was sort of similar later on in Alfonso Davis's miss. But the amount of time he has to wait where he's just stood... His run up set in, and he's just waiting there for ages. What I, I what I find is, don't start your run up until the referee's blown his whistle, and then you're in control of when you go and when you're not. Because he's sort of there, stood watching Ochoa, you know, the greatest World Cup goalkeeper <laughs> ever, for for a long time, thinking, oh god, he's saving this because he's a Ochoa. Yeah. Um. But we we spoke about this um, in in the preview, didn't we? Like Lewandowski, his international career. Especially at World Cups, it's not been great. Yeah, and this is the moment to. This group is so having seen Argentina lose to Saudi Arabia, Poland and Mexico both would have come into this game knowing they had to win because mm. Argentina, you imagine, will beat them both. So they know they have to win this game if they want to qualify because realistically they're competing with Saudi Arabia, who've already got three points on the board, and this is just a massive chance for Lewandowski and, and Poland to make a massive statement. And you know, equal Saudi Arabia top of the group, um, and Lewandowski misses, and yeah, that that could end up and potentially will end up costing them qualification into the knockout stages, mm. and it's not a great look for a player yet who hasn't managed to inspire his country on the biggest stages. Of all. Obviously, does it all the time in qualifying by scoring all their goals to get them to these tournaments, but at the actual tournaments themselves, potentially, you know, not as good as he should have been could have been mm. but I think that also what didn't help him was the selections that you know Poland made with Milik on the bench despite having some pretty decent form oh yeah no he's coming, he's coming in, in, in Johnny probably Uwe. the best form of his life yeah like he's actually set I mean he's always been a good player I didn't expect him to be this like settled into Juventus mm. side you know straight away coming from Marseille and he didn't like rip things up for Marseille, I don't think. No. Um, and immediately just becomes a starter at Juventus, and they've enjoyed a nice little comeback really since a, a poor start to the season. And instead, it was Lewandowski with Zielinski right up with him. And I just think that they would have been better off having Lewandowski and Milik up top together, and then having Zielinski a little bit deeper, like he plays for Napoli and, and progress the ball to those two and just getting more chances because I just don't think. Poland managed to progress the ball well enough. It was just, just slow and passive, and having Zielinski deeper, I think, would have helped with that. Yeah, I, I, I'm so confused by it to be honest. Having your best midfielder not at the, <laughs> at the heart of your team yeah. is just 
bizarre, to be honest. And I think that is, once again, another mistake that should be amended in, in, in the next game. Having Zielinski feeding Milik and Lewandowski will definitely you know, prove a lot more fruitful than whatever this monstrosity of a game was. And uh, it's time for Group D then. Uh, and the first game was another nil-nil, which is <laughs> yep. it's getting a little bit dull to talk about. But yeah, Denmark nil, Tunisia nil. Um, Tunisia were pretty up for this. Um, very aggressive throughout and deserving of a point really because Denmark didn't really show up. Obviously, both teams had a big clear-cut chance. They failed to score. Obviously, Tunisia had that one where Schmeichel's made that great 1v1 save and, and pushed it around the post and... It's a save that you'd associate with Schmeichel of old, really. It's not something you've really seen from Kasper Schmeichel in, in recent years. And at Nice, he's been pretty disappointing, really. And, you know, fair play for him. It was a nice little save. And then Cornelius, I, do, I don't know how he missed this chance. Oh, my God. Chris, yeah. From the corner, Andreas Christensen nods it back across goal. And he's about three yards out, just has to head it into basically empty net and just doesn't get enough contact on it and just hits the post from three yards out and that's just cost Denmark the win really and it's just you, you do look at that and you do think yeah Denmark just do lack a clinical striker that is what we said before we, we said you, you're relying on the likes of you know Poulsen Skovolsen Dolberg to you know finally pull the finger out and you know Cornelius comes on and doesn't do that basically it, it doesn't save, save the team because uh, it is such a, a horrid miss um but apart from that, I, I thought I'd, the, the game was fairly, you know, competitive. I thought that Denmark, they've been talked up a lot before this tournament as you know potentially being semi-finalists. Um, Did, but, didn't look like it, that's for sure. Yeah, on, on this evidence, you know, didn't look like it whatsoever. Um, and w- one thing I do want to say is, um, we as a sport have maybe gone a little bit too far when Pierre Emil Hoybierg is doing elasticos. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just leave that there. <laughs> yeah, that really surprised us. I think I just looked up and said to you, Hoiberg has just done a flip-flap to get past someone. And we were both in shock, really, because um, how that's happened, I- I'm not quite sure how we got to a position. But yeah. Fair play to him, but wow. In, in professional football, there should be like five players in the world who should be allowed to do that. <laughs> not, not not your centre-mid. <laughs> Especially Hoybier, but maybe in Dombele is allowed to do it as a centre mid, but Hoybier, just just no. Not not for me, footy. Calm it down. <laughs> well, another centre mid in the game who was, you know, a talking point was Christian Eriksen. Obviously, a lot was made of his sort of return to a major tournament for Denmark after mm. what happened at the Euros, and it was great to see him back on the pitch. And Denmark looked so much better when he dropped deeper and played sort of similar to the role he's been playing at Man United this season. He started in the front three. Obviously, Denmark were playing a back three with wing backs, um, and it was Dolbergs, Govolsen, and Eriksson in the front three, and it just didn't really work. And when Eriksson did drop deeper into the midfield two, and they brought Damsgaard on, they did look better. They were able to maintain a little bit more control than in the first half when Tunisia were really aggressive and really up for it. Um, and they managed to put a damper on that a little bit of Ericsson deeper which is no surprise really because you get his quality and calmness on the ball mm. um, progressing play and starting attacks but yeah like you said before Denmark weren't convincing and you know they should still get through this group fairly comfortably because although Tunisia put up a good fight here they they didn't really cause Denmark too many problems really and Australia 
were not great against France. Obviously, scored once, scored you know scored the opener, but from there on out, looked really poor. So Denmark, you imagine it's just a blip, and they still get through the group because you imagine they beat Australia. But it will be interesting to see how they you know fare up against France because obviously they've beaten France numerous times recently, and Australia, who imagine you imagine will also play a deep block against them and it'll be up to Denmark to try and break them down um, and then obviously we, we mentioned France there so we'll go on to it now um, 4-1 winners over Australia obviously good win put Australia won that up and then France just came back into it and looked a far better team um, you know 1-0 down but 63% possession 23 shots um, and Olivier Giroud bagged a brace he's now level with Thierry Henry as France's all-time record goal scorer which you know, it's been you know it's been coming because he's been scoring goals consistently for the national team, but it is still pretty surprising that Olivier Giroud is now France's record goal scorer or at least le- joint level, you know, joint record goal scorer. Yeah, when you see the names around, you see Henri Platini, Olivier Giroud is going to be top, which is interesting because you know four or five years ago, if you said that, you get laughed off the street probably. Um, because he, he was in, in, in spells at Arsenal, sort of a laughing stock, wasn't he? Especially yeah. you know, there were so many calls for uh, from Arsenal fans to you know get get him out of the team. He's not good enough. He famously, uh, apparently, r- ruined Özil's um, assist yeah, record I, season in fifteen sixteen. Özil was on like a stupid number of assists by Christmas, and then just didn't get any more assists because Giroud missed loads of yeah, chances. Because Giroud just kept missing missing sitters, apparently. Um, but yeah, record goal scorer and. I mean the the goals themselves. The, his, his first one, uh, you know, fairly standard tapping, wasn't it? Um, mm-hmm. r- good work from Rabio actually, because you know coming into this game when we see Rabio starting, we're, we're tearing a hair out, going, <laughs> "What is Deschamps doing?" Gets a goal and assist. Yeah, he's been pretty decent for Juventus this season, Rabio, mm-hmm. especially in the last couple of weeks. Um, and great, great, great goal against Inter, wasn't it? Yeah, and you know yeah. he. You know, like Juventus, really, over the last month, two months, seen a resurgence. He's, yeah, he's yeah. you know come into form again. So obviously good for France. Obviously something that's less good, I guess, is obviously Lucas Hernandez's injury. But at the same time, I do kind of think it's a little bit of a blessing in disguise because it means that Teo plays, and I just prefer Teo Hernandez to his brother as a left back. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Obviously, I think Lucas's best position is centre back. Left centre back. Um, he can be what. He's shown signs of being one of the best, but obviously not enough. It's why Bayern paid eighty million for him, really, yeah. to play that left centre back role. I think not to play left back. Um, but yeah, obviously the injury is a huge blow in in that regard in terms of just having left back options. Because now, what was it? Apparently, Camavinga. Camavinga is now <laughs> training at left back. Yeah, uh, played in like a eleven that didn't. They played France's. You know the players who didn't play in this game against Australia played a friendly against a local um, Qatari team, uh, and Kamavinga played at left back, and he's apparently now been, for a report, and he's been training at left back, and is going to be the backup left back to Teo Hernandez, um, which is pretty interesting. Do you want to get your thoughts on that? Uh, no, no, just no. But as they, as they say, central midfielders should be able to play at fullback. Wherever you know people say that that, that classic saying, yeah. yeah. Um, <sighs> In my mind, I see Rabio being far more com- like competent at left back in my mind than yeah. But I guess he Rabio is just but, a starting centre midfielder. Yeah, but, yeah but Rabio is fancied so much as as that starting CM. Then you're never going to get 
in moving to left back. Um, but if it's a way that he can, you know, get, get himself into that starting eleven, then you know, so be it. I mean, obviously, you're praying for another Hernandez injury, which isn't ideal. But I'd like to see Camavinga start, but just not a left back. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's going to be Rabiot and it's going to be Chouameni who I just I just love watching him play. You you yeah. coined the phrase I was entranced by that Chouameni trot, and uh, you couldn't have been more spot on, mate. So yeah, every every two it. seconds. Uh, when, even when he just did the most simple five yard pass you, you just could not contain yourself it was slightly weird no. but also relatable because the, the Chiumeni trot is something you know it's one of the greatest sights in football yeah he just looks so com- confident so comfortable playing football and uh, it's enviable really I wish I could play football that well mm-hmm. um, and one, one thing I will say as well is watching Dembele at the peak of his powers at a World Cup is beautiful as well because in 2018 he, he just he was starting games for France and started a lot a lot of the group games but he just wasn't the player he is now yeah and the player that we knew he could be yeah well they changed from they started he um, <coughs> Dembele started that first game I do against remember against Australia but yeah. then they changed formation to the four four two where mm. Mbappe was right mid and had the inverted Matuidi at left mid and um, Giroud and, and Griezmann up top so. Obviously, that worked, you know, omitting Dembele from the starting lineup because France went on and won the World Cup. But it does look like he's going to be a pivotal player this time around. Mm. And, you know, Griezmann pretty much playing as a central midfielder is interesting, but I don't hate it. Yeah. Um, and obviously, Mbappe and Dembele out wide with Europe top is a very good front three mm. uh, with Giroud in the form he's in. Yeah, people keep saying it's going to be the Mbappe show that's going to carry. France to a World Cup win but Dembele is also going to be a huge part of that on, on the opposite side because you think oh, just keep the ball away from Mbappe just shift out to the right oh wait Dembele's there and he's going to just absolutely kill me yeah and he can go either way as well which is obviously so vital and so valuable and yes. why we love him so much yes And uh, we'll go on to Group E then, uh, and it's uh, another shock, I guess, although not not a massive shock, because Japan are a very good team, but they did beat Germany 2-1. Um, Germany did go into the game as favourites, as you would imagine they would do, but yet again, Germany have just been pretty disappointing mm. in the World Cup. I think they've lost three and won one game since they won the tournament in 2014 now, um, after losing two and winning one in 2018. So, they've not had a really good record in the World Cup recently, have they? No, it's uh, a little bit alarming, but also I, I, there were spells when I was watching that game where I thought the the uh, you know the offensive patterns are there. I, I can see something cooking it, um, and obviously you know Musiala in that second half. There were times where he was unplayable, but you know somehow they they still get the win. Um, that finish that he. D- just blazed over after that unreal run in the box. Yeah, Musiala. It could have been you that. Know, that would have been goal of the tournament in my yeah. eyes. Just would have been so so good. Just Jules passed about three or four Japan defenders inside the box, delays the shot, and then just blazes. Mm. It does all the hard work. Um, but his, his feet are so good that he could do that. He does do that. It's weirdly the, inside the box. Does that all the time for Bayern? Yeah. yeah, it'll just go on. It'll just think. I'm going to pick up the ball here. There's about five hundred people in my way, but I'm going to somehow lacrock 
The lack of getting my way all the way through them. It's like the Nike 2014 World Cup. I was literally it? just thinking of that then, actually. <laughs> As I was saying, 500 people, I thought, I remember that advert where it was a load of drones against Ronaldo, Iniesta, Neymar, Wayne Wazaroon as well. Ah, oh, beautiful. Got me all nostalgic now, Cam. Oh. Um, that is what it was like. Um, and yeah, Japan, you know, it was a bit of a snatching grab, but. They, des- they deserved it. They were dangerous on the counter-attack. Mm. They did sit in, only had 26% possession. Um, they clearly had a game plan, which was to hit on the counter-attack. And when you have pacey attackers, that makes sense. It plays to your strengths. Um, and having someone like Yoshida at centre-back, it's not going to be beneficial if you play a high line. Mm. So having him just defend the box is, is fine. Um, and that- I just want to talk about Japan's second goal. The winner from Asano is just... The the defending from Germany is just so bad. Mm. All three of the back three, you know, play a role in this. Even Neuer, really, because you have it starts with Sula just being just. I can't really explain La- it's, it. It's just, it's just lazy, isn't just it? Just so much deeper than the rest of his back line. Yeah. It just plays Asano on side to start with. I mean, it's not even the first time it's happened. I've seen a couple of screenshots of him, you know, at Dortmund this season doing similar things. And whether that is just a laziness, whether it's positioning, whether it's him trying to make up for the fact that he doesn't believe he's got enough pace to recover and needs a head start. I'm not mm. sure what it is, but there's clearly something there which is troubling. Um, and then Rudiger doesn't tell Schlotterbeck that Asano is sort of behind him. Mm. And then Schlotterbeck can't deal with Asano. And then Neuer just doesn't cover his near post perhaps as well as he should yeah, have done. The, the, it's a great finish. The, but. the keeping by Neuer is something that really just frustrated me. The way he sort of... He doesn't make himself big whatsoever. He just sort of stays next to the post. He puts he puts his two arms out to the left, but he, he just doesn't really make any attempts. At, like it's it's like in his mind, there's no way Asana can squeeze that in from there, but he does. Yeah, and that's that's what did it. Like that, it was a, it was bad defending. It's it's something you've seen a lot with Dortmund, to be fair. And when you play Schlotterbeck and Sulo both at Dortmund, maybe it's not a surprise. Mm. Um, and. Yeah, I think I saw a stat that Germany are the first ever team in World Cup history to register over three XG and not win the game, um, which is pretty incredible. Well, yeah, there, there you go. There's the signs that potentially it's not all doom and gloom for the yeah, Germans. for sure. But at the same time, it's worrying that they had created so many chances and weren't able to finish them. And and while that's in in like a league season, you'd see that and you say, yeah, over time in a 38-game season you'll get the goals that you deserve yeah. from XG in three games no, no in a group game. In yeah, no yeah, there's in. not enough time. And with Spain looking so good, Germany could easily just go and lose to Spain and then they beat Costa Rica, but that's not really going to see them through mm. because you imagine Japan beat Costa Rica. So they kind of just do have to get a result against Spain. Oh, God, yeah, they do. I've, I've just realised my World Cup prediction could be in the mud here. Um, also, the, the, the first goal, uh, you know, Matoma has a big role. Good off the bench. Bench. Yeah, great great to see him come off the bench and deliver the goods. You know, he slides the ball through to Minamino, has that shot, and then Neuer once again, dodgy. Yeah, parried it straight into the danger zone, like straight into the middle of the goal. Yeah, um, but I think. Wait, who would Germany play next? Is it, is it Spain? Yeah, it's Spain. Germany's got Spain next up, so that is a. Uh, you know, it's a deciding game, really. Yeah, if they that, go through or not. That, that is just make or break for Germany already, because you'd assume Japan probably do beat Costa Rica. Yeah, and that, then, then that puts them on six points, and that's game over. Yeah, so yeah, they just 
they just need to win really mm. they need to beat Spain and because yeah I can't see a world in which Japan don't beat Costa Rica based yeah. on how bad Costa Rica looked which we'll get into in a second but yeah Germany is worrying because like, like you say it wasn't a bad performance like on the whole they were good but mm. they just couldn't finish their chances and while the XG is a good sign in a tournament you don't have enough time to for that to really matter you just have to win mm. you have to win in the groups and yeah, they didn't, and they'll now be fearful because Japan are a good team, so they're not going to lose to Costa Rica or mm. even get a draw. Costa Rica with nothing. And we'll get on to that Costa Rica game now because Spain demolished them 7-0. It's Spain's biggest ever World Cup win. Um, oh, God, Costa Rica yeah. just didn't I mean, turn up. Yeah, we, we, I mean, you said in particular they're not going to score a goal at, at this tournament, and um, it's pretty easy to see why you said that because... Um, they were just, yeah. Um, in, in games like this, you'd expect either Costa Rica to go all out in terms of pressing. We're just going to try and press them off the park and play really high and just take risks like Saudi Arabia did against Argentina. Yeah. Or sit deep and just try and hang on and hit on the counter. Like they, Japan did, really. They did neither. Yeah. It was a mid-block <laughs> of just so low intensity. I pointed this out to you, and we were just discussing it about 20 minutes in, and we were just like, why is it so easy for Spain to just play, play through? through. Yeah. <laughs> literally, I was like, oh, it's just because Costa Rica just aren't doing any of the fundamentals for defending. Yeah. Like, it, literally. It was the most passive mid-block defence I've ever seen. It was just amateur, to be honest. Um... And when you're playing against a team like Spain, who are just well, I mean, they'll they'll, they'll just pass for fun to like the break of dawn, won't they? Yeah, like Laporte, Rodri, Busquets hit like a stupid number of passes in the far, first half alone. So, um, yeah, Spain were just able to keep the ball like they always do, but it was always progressive, and there was always just so much space for them to play into. And yeah, they looked incredible. It will be interesting to see what they look like against Japan and Germany because that will surely be a lot. You know, more a, trickier a lot, test yeah, yeah a lot and we'll, tougher and we'll tell if they actually are ready to maybe win this World Cup because like they were penalty shootout away from winning the Euro uh, from getting to the Euros final last year and were probably better in periods than Italy in that in that semi-final um, especially when they were you know trying to get a goal when Morata scored that goal Spain were on top completely Pedri was mm. amazing in that game I remember and I, I, I do think that Luis Enrique has got a really good system in place and you know, Asensio was playing as, you know, through the middle. You had Olmo and Ferran Torres. And you're looking at it, it's like, well, compared to England, France, Brazil, it's not like the best attack, but mm. it just works. But, but this is what we said. We said this with Germany, even though they lost. And we said this with Spain. Having an elite manager just counts for so much yeah. at, at this level because everyone else is coached okay. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's nothing amazing, but like Spain, when you watch them, you're like, they know what they're doing. These are so well it's like a, drilled. It's like a club team. Yeah, like it's it's that which is something that you don't often see with international teams. Mm. Um, and one thing that actually we'll just like to point on the back of that is the fact that Enrique went with Rodri at centre back oh, alongside yeah, I mean, Laporte. We, we had a great debate, didn't we? And then Enrique just said no, ne- neither. Yeah, yeah. We, we were speaking about you know the the pros and cons of playing um, Pau Torres or Eric Garcia next to Laporte, which is what we assumed Enrique would do because that's what he did in the Euros. But he thought, no, I'm going to play Rodri there and I'm going to play Busquets at DM. And, and Enrique likes Busquets. I mean, he's played him regularly for Spain and, and Rodri hasn't had too many minutes at DM. I mean, Rodri's even played in like one of the 
wider, more advanced CM roles um, at Spain quite regularly. More often than he's even done at DM. Um, but used at centre-back, he has been used there a couple of times at City. City. In the dark age of 19... 19- 20, that 1920 yeah. season when every centre back of theirs was injured, and I, I don't, I don't hate, I, I don't know it's if I, I, I don't mind it. I prefer him at the DM because yeah. he's just so good, like one of the best in the world at playing that position. But against Costa Rica, especially, I like it a lot because he's just so comfortable on the ball. And mm. whether Enrique sticks with it, which you know they won seven nil, so he probably will. I mean, I'd be surprised if he changes it now. Um, and maybe Rodri just is a centre back for Spain, and uh, I'd be interested to see if if he ever did if Pep ever did that for City without the injury crisis. Maybe that could be something interesting to see. Mm. Um, but yeah, he looks like he worked, and there was no issues with it. But then again, Costa Rica didn't threaten at all, so it's hard to tell whether it's a good idea or not. Yeah, but I mean, th- this to me shows how against starting uh, Eric Garcia at centre-back yeah. Enrique was I mean he clearly just doesn't rate him whatsoever mm-hmm. if if he's making a DM play centre-back yeah I'll quickly ask you actually just based on Spain I thought we've seen do you think they can actually go all the way? I think they'll def- well, not definitely be in semi-finals but they'll depends on the, the, the draw really, yeah, yeah, on, on the route uh, but in, in terms of who's impressed me the most so far it's pro- probably Spain number one Nice. And, and can we just speak about that Gavi goal as well? Yeah. Um, what a finish. It was good. Yeah, enough of that. I, I think Lovely. it's between that and Richarlison's goal tonight for goal of the tournament so far for me. I think Richarlison's takes it, but Gavi's was very nice as well. Just the way very, he controls nice. it. It's, it's not like one of them hit and hopes. He knows exactly where he wants to put it and he just does it with. What does he do? He finishes with. A plum. A plum. Yeah, nice. Nice. And uh, we'll go on to Group F now, and we'll start with another nil-nil, uh, Morocco v Croatia. Now, I didn't watch this um, live, but I have caught up on the highlights and you know the news and re- the match report from the game. And by all accounts, it was just a pretty close game with very, very few chances. Um, Morocco have now failed to score in 53% of their World Cup matches, which is the joint highest percentage of any nation to have played in more than 10 games in the competition. A little stat for you there. And there was only two shots on target for both teams combined in this game, um, which kind of tells you all you need to know. And I think this group, from what we've seen, might be the lowest scoring group. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, unfortunately, I didn't talk into this game either. I was... Um... Asleep, probably. No, no, I was extremely busy elsewhere. <laughs> um, but I, I, I thought, I thought these, these were going into the game. These are two fairly evenly matched sides in terms of just first eleven, starting eleven. Um, we saw that play out. Yeah, Croatia obviously having a, you know, the end of coming towards the end of their cycle of players and starting to integrate a few more younger players, the likes of Guardiol, who started at left back at the Euros, started at centre back. Um, against Morocco with Borna Sosa a left back which is I like that a lot mm. I like that a lot um, midfield is obviously still Brozovic Modric and Kovacic you've got Perisic out wide left and so there's still the core of the group that got to the final in 2018 with Lovren starting at centre back as well but there's you know, I think Croatia do need something and especially up front they need something because it is pretty dry up there it's just a bit it's Bit uninspiring, really, and I, th- I think this game showed it. Um, 
Uh, Morocco, slightly similar. I think they just need to get into their groove a little bit. I think Morocco have a great chance of getting through this group, obviously picking up a point against Croatia, but I think Morocco are a very good team and the side that they put out maybe just needs a little bit more time to gel but I, I think they could easily qualify through this group based on what we saw from Belgium and Canada and I think I mean anyone could do because Canada look Canada look good as well yeah no this I, I was just thinking about it then this is a really interesting group in terms of Canada aren't going to be a pushover as we saw in the Belgium game and in, in fact they should have got some from that game um, so it's not going to be like the Iran uh, Group B situation where it's how many can you score against Iran? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is going to be can you just beat Canada because they're certainly going to put up a fight. Yeah, as we saw in that first half against Belgium. Um, so yeah, no, really interesting to see how, how these next couple of game weeks, game weeks, is that legal? Yeah, it's legal. Yeah, game weeks play out. Yeah, and we'll, we'll go on to Belgium Canada now because, um, well, Belgium, like we said in our preview episode. We said they weren't going to be particularly great, and they weren't particularly great. And Canada probably should have won this game. Um, they had 22 shots to Belgium's nine, and they missed the penalty. Alfonso Davies. Um, talk me through the miss then. Uh, I was watching at the time saying he's waiting too long here. It's similar to the Lewandowski one, where there's, there's a weight of a country on his, his shoulders. He's the talisman of the team, and he's just looking down, once again, at a world-class keeper. A chair for the last one, Courtois for this one, and it was just a terrible penalty, wasn't it? Yeah, really, um, really not good, and just not even close to being in the corner. Yeah. Not hit with any real venom at all. I mean, it's, there's potential for it because it's such a bad penalty for it to almost go under Courtois. But luckily, Courtois had his wits about him and he just scooped it away willy nilly. Yeah, I. To me, I'm not sure why Alfonso Davies was taking this penalty. I think he scored his last two for Canada, but he's not a penalty taker. Like he doesn't do it. Whereas Jonathan David is that. I know Alfonso Davies is like the star of the team, mm. but Jonathan Davies scored nine of his twelve penalties taken in his career, which is a decent strike rate. And I just think that in this scenario, I just would want my striker taking the penalty. Yeah. I wouldn't want, like... I know Alfonso Davies is, like, the best player Canada have ever produced, but I would want Jonathan David taking this penalty, and maybe that's hindsight, and maybe if, if Alfonso Davies had scored, and we wouldn't be saying this at all, but I, I still think it was the wrong decision to have Alfonso Davies on the penalty kick, and, and maybe it might even cost them getting out of the group because they should have won this game. Yeah, definitely after that first-half performance. I mean, there were times where... Belgium were camped in just fighting for their lives. That they could not get any sort of sustained possession out of the you know the first the first and second phases, and they were just playing on the counter against Canada. Which you know if you told the me that state before, of Belgian football now, yeah. the golden generation, but, yeah, on the counter against God, just awful. Um, and I also want to talk about a, a man who keeps getting away with it and he can't keep getting away with it and that's Kevin De Bruyne. I knew you were going to say that. Because, it, what was it, six passes in the first half. Six. Yeah, he got man of the match, you see that? I did. Did, did, he reply, did you see his comments though? Yeah. He was be, like, because even he knows, I can. surely I can't keep getting away with this. Me just being Kevin De Bruyne cannot just keep getting me through these sort of performances because he was so sloppy, so wasteful and, you know, despite his great form for City, leading up to this he just decided to drop an absolute stinker yeah and it's we mentioned it in our preview that Belgium's hope just sort of lie on his shoulders yes because the rest of the team just isn't up to it anymore and if he's going to do that 
they've got no hope. I don't think that they could. They won this game, but they could still quite easily not go through because yes. they could easily lose to Morocco and Croatia. Having said that, I think I saw a stat the other day, which is eighty-five uh, percent of teams that win their first group game go through. Okay, Belgium might be in that fifteen percent. Well, let's don't. hope they are because Kevin's. A, oh God, man. Um, just, I mean. Even starting Batshuayi, even though he scored and it was a great finish, their their sort of connection and their synergy was just non-existent, to be honest. The amount of times where Batshuayi would make a running behind, Kevin De Bruyne would just not see it or see it way too late. And then other times when he'd go short, Batshuayi would drop off short and then De Bruyne would just boot one in behind. Uh, it was like watching two players who had been playing for a week, which is probably which is true. What they've done, but... They're professional footballers. They should be able to build up some sort of connection a bit easier than what than what they've produced in this first game. Yeah, and and yeah, I, I think obviously one goal across the two games in this group so far uh, could be a very low-scoring group, and you imagine it would be a very competitive group because no team's guaranteed to win against anyone here. So it'll be interesting to see how the second and third games <coughs> in, in this group, um, Group F, actually play out because I still don't know who's going to go through, which is. You know, nice and intriguing. Although the games, yeah, the Moroccan game was not are, very intriguing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're going to Group G then, uh, the penultimate group. Um, these games took place today, as as of recording. Um, we'll start with the 10 a.m. game for us, which was Switzerland against Cameroon. A one-nil win for Switzerland. Breland Bolo scoring. Um, Obviously, Mbolo was born in Cameroon and scored the only goal. When he did score, it was a little bit emotional for him. Um, and yeah, well, for the goal itself, I mean, the ball seemed to sort of just go in slow motion from Shakiri's cross. The, the defender that's there, I can't quite remember who actually was, but it's just sort of stuck and can't actually move to go and clear it. And it just falls to Mbolo about six yards out, and it is just a really easy finish past Anana in goal. Anana made a, a great save later on in the game, and... You know, Cameroon will be disappointed though because they probably did have the better chances. Um, I think Carl Topo Cambi and Mbuemo both had decent chances, and so did Chief Moting. Obviously, that's a a pretty decent front three, really. Mm. Um, especially when you got Abubakar as well on the bench. So yeah, they they'll be disappointed because this is a game that you're looking at and you think that the Switzerland game for Cameroon, if they do want to get out of it, you kind of need to at least get a draw because. You kind of now need to get a result against Brazil, which is pretty unlikely. I did find it quite weird though that Abubakar wasn't fancied as, as the start because he has, you know, been the t- sort of talisman for the last year or so, and you know he had such a great Afcon tournament where we're, they, they were the host nation. And I know Chupa Moting's coming in with great form, but uh, could you maybe play him out wide and then have Abubakar in the middle? You, c- you could, but do you think Chupa Moting offers anything better out wide than? Kaltuko can be or Brian Bueno. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, no, it's sort of close to call. You'd say now Chupa Moting doesn't have the legs to sort of stretch teams like Carl and Brian do. Carl and Brian sounds like <laughs> I'm talking about my team down the local, doesn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I just think it's interesting that his sort of his great form for the national team hasn't been rewarded and you know he hasn't really been shown loyalty in terms of yeah like a two month spell for you promoting at Bayern has suddenly elevated him to the starting striker at the World Cup yeah. 
but fair play to Super Moting, he probably deserves it based on that form for Bayern. And yeah, this was an even contest between the the two teams. I think Cameroon probably had the better chances, really, uh, on the whole. But yeah, pretty even affair. And I think I picked Switzerland to go through in this group. And you know, whoever won this game has put themselves in a, a decent position to go through because Cameroon, you can't imagine now going through because you imagine they lose to Brazil um, and Switzerland now just all be going into their game against Serbia, knowing that a point might be enough but they'll probably want to win that game just to be sure that they yeah. do go through um, and speaking of Serbia they obviously lost 2-0 to Brazil it probably could have been 5 or 6 really because Brazil on a different day yeah, yeah. the finishing from Brazil was not great on the whole Serbia really disappointing uh, and I hate to say I told you so but I did kind of say in the preview that they weren't going to be great this tournament I don't think and they were being overhyped and they didn't look great did they? Yeah, did I agree with? That? I think I said that they you were. Probably, they, you probably did agree. With uh, me. I said they were going to be this this tournament's turkey. Yeah, turkey is in. They're going to be eaten up for breakfast by the opponents. Eh? <laughs> you don't have turkey for breakfast. I sort of fumbled that a little bit, but uh, we'll stick with it. Um, yeah, no, I thought I thought Serbia definitely were pretty scared of Brazil, weren't they? Let's be honest, the, the way they sat deep, but also that did work for them in the first half. They did. You know, go into the half at nil-nil. You know, maybe perhaps on a different day, Rafinha scores that that chance he gets in the box. Oh, Rafinha! Rafinha against Serbia today. Wow, I'll be surprised if he keeps his place. Yeah. Next game because missed two or three really good chances um, that could have put the game to bed before it. You know, Richarlison decided to become the best player ever, really. Mm. And I think obviously Rodrigo's cameo off the bench was very encouraging. And while that came. Initial on the left and then at 10, I think that he has just as good a chance to play on the right and he's been, he played well in this game when he came on. So I personally would, would use that and just say, yeah, Rafinha hasn't done enough in this game to start the next game and I'd start Rodrigo personally. But, you know, whether Tite does that or not remains to be seen. But, you know, Brazil came into this as the favourites to win the tournament and they did look good, didn't they? They, yeah, no, they did look good, but also there were moments where... From a functional point of view, they didn't look too great. I thought Neymar at times dropping too deep for me, as as he loves to do. You you want your best players in the final third making a difference there. He he kept dropping too deep for me and trying to just run things from midfield. Let the midfielders do that because I mean Casemiro at times in this game looks like the best player on the part by a mile. Yeah, he was so good. The, the diagonals that he was producing the, the, the line break he, he plays to Neymar as well uh, in the sort of first oh, 10 minutes yeah, or so oh yeah that is brilliant yeah you just remind me that is unreal um, it's amazing to think that you play with Cruz and Modric um, for five or six years and you, you get basically to call a bad passer just because you're along two of the greatest passers who have ever lived but Casemiro he can play to such an elite level right now and we saw that today against Serbia yeah and Serbia just looked pretty to me just immobile like they didn't have anything I mean Vlahovic came off the bench started on the bench Mitrovic didn't look fully fit like he's been coming mm. into this you know question marks whether he will be fit to start the first game and I don't think he looked up to it really I, th- I think there's still you know, fitness issues there and maybe that was an issue with Serbia why they weren't able to maintain possession really because they were pretty open. Like they could have the way they they lost the ball so frequently, mm. and were just so even that last like ten minutes. Just I know the game was sort of done, but 
they were just so open. Yeah. Like Brazil just had so much time, and they were just the amount of like three on threes they had that Brazil messed up. I mean, h- half the time it was just because Milenkovic was saving Serbia centre back. I thought he was immense, really. Yeah. About the only good player on the ser- for Serbia, really. The cu- keeper had a, a decent game too, but yeah, Brazil wasteful at times because it could have been a lot more. But thankful for Richarlison. We need to speak about his goals now. Obviously, the first one is just a poacher's instinct. Six yards out, tapping after. Um, Good play Vinicius, by Neymar in Vinicius the box. Jr.'s shot, yeah. Oh, yeah, and then Billy yeah, takes in the it build, off. In the build-up, and then Vinicius takes that shot. Keeper, you know, Milinkovic Savage's... Well, Sergio Milinkovic's Savage's younger brother, which I, I found to be an amazing revelation, to be honest. He's six foot eight, bald, big beard, and he's the younger one? Yeah, Milinkovic Savage, Sergei, anyway... It's just weirdly quite old because he's just been around for ages. Yeah, just constantly linked with Man United. Yeah, I thought I thought he was quite decent today as well. I thought yeah. out out of the, the the slightly more offensive players, he sort of held his own in, in that game. Um, but you know, obviously the the Richarlison goal, the first one is classic Richarlison poacher's instinct, always following up, and then the second one is just. It's unbelievable technique. Wow. So good. The way it just pops up from his left foot touch and then just the acrobatic finish is just on. We were just sat we just sat there watching this just going, Oh my god, he actually has just done that. But what what I do think is that it, the the reason it happens is because it's the ball in and the touch isn't good. It's <laughs> it's, it's obviously a missed touch, but he's he's improvised and turned it into you know, one of the best goals we've seen in a while in a World Cup. You know, probably off the top of me since since Pavard yeah yeah since Pavard against Argentina uh, and one thing I do want to say about this because I was seeing a lot of criticism of Richarlison on Twitter particularly from Arsenal fans because obviously they want Gabi Jesus to start this is what like having an ego like Richarlison can ha- can do for you as a player because in that situation I think there Gabi Jesus if he, if he receives the ball there he just Touches it, controls it well, and just lays it off to Rafinha on on the outside, who's you know got a a, a decent chance to score. But Richarlison, being Richarlison, and the ego that he has, that he's whenever he's like on the pitch, he just thinks I am the best player. I am going <laughs> to do something amazing, even though I'm not technically that great. I'm going to mistouch this ball, and I'm going to swivel and make it you know just absolutely fire at home. I think. Having that sort of ego that he does just makes him and makes moments just you know so much greater. Yeah, and he's just been, he's just constantly so good for Brazil because he just always scores for them. Like I mean, mm. there's a reason why Jesus has been kept out of the team, the Brazilian team, by Richarlison. And while he hasn't been particularly prolific since joining Spurs, he just always performs for the national team, and he's done it again. And he just works the system as well, like presses really well, um, and yeah. Oh, I think that that second goal just is brilliant, isn't it? It's just mm. so, so good. And I doubt we'll see a better goal this tournament. And uh, finally, we'll go on to the final group, uh, Group H. Um, yeah, so these games were, well, one of them was very, very entertaining. And to be fair, for a nil-nil, Uruguay-Korea, I thought was a really good game. Um, plenty of good moments in the game. Obviously, Uruguay rattled the uh, the crossbar no the post I should say with Fede Valverde's absolute rocket of a strike incredible obviously Godin also had a header off the crossbar so Uruguay very very close to scoring um, but yeah Uruguay weren't able to break down Korea I thought it was a very good game very even contest 
Um, and I was impressed by Korea, really, because I was expecting Uruguay to, to really show their dominance, assert their dominance on this game. And they weren't able to do that too much because Korea were neat and tidy in possession. I thought their number six, their central midfielder, Im Byum Hwang, I got that wrong pronunciation, I apologise. Um, he was very technical, controlled things at times. I quite liked the way he played. Um, but the telling stat, I think, from this game was that there was the least amount of shot on target in World Cup history with just one, uh, which was for Uruguay. Korea didn't manage a single shot on target somehow because Huang Ujoi had been a chance in the first half. He's about 10 yards out, uh, free, just completely opening the box and blazes one over, which is... A guilt edge chance and probably one that would have won Korea the game based on how the rest of the the encounter played out. But all in all, Uruguay may be disappointing considering they go to, you know went to the tournament as as many people's dark horses to go and win it. Mm, yeah, no, hundred percent. I think the balance in that first half in terms of the the, the the attacking options was just not there. I thought Suarez completely off it. Uh, looked like a man who's uh, recently left Europe and gone back home to play football. Um, yeah, where he's playing in Uruguay. National, yeah. Yeah, National, that the Uruguayan side. Um, Nunes as well. I mean, we all know about Nunes's uh, lack of technical security, and that was definitely on display today as well. But obviously, yeah, I, I thought Bentancur was pretty, pretty on it as from just you know a, a midfield point of view. But yeah, no, really. A, a damp squib in terms of the the Uruguay performance. Yeah, obviously Uruguay started in a four three three shape when defending, and then that moved into a three five two when they were attacking, with um, Palestri dropping from a right wing role to a right wing back, uh, Oliveira playing from left back to left wing back, and Nunes going up front with Suarez, and then it just moved full time to that in possession as well. Um, so clearly they weren't really happy with how things were going because. They weren't able to break Korea down. They weren't able to hit on the counter-attack as much as they would have liked. I mean, getting Nunes in behind is probably what a, a you know, decent tactic would have been. And you saw it a couple of times, but it never really you know, came to fruition to make a, a really good chance. And yeah, Uruguay, they'll, they'll be worried about this group because against you know World Cup games, like you said, we, we said before, there's only three in the group. You do need to pick up. If you get a win in that first game, it is massive mm. for getting qualification into the knockout stages. And nil-nil draw not really create much, you know, one shot on target, really, really poor. And for Korea, obviously didn't manage to have a shot on target. Uh, and although they were, you know, technically sh- secure, really neat in possession, they didn't manage to get Son into the game much, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, so Son, Son was way out of it. Yeah, he didn't. I know he obviously played with a face mask and has been, you know, out of action for a while, but didn't, yeah, it was obviously, is he going to play, is he not going to play, but... He didn't. He didn't even really look like he was playing half the time. Mm. Uh, yeah, um, but I, I think I think Son is currently in this sort of dip in form. We, we obviously saw you know that hat trick against Leicester. And we thought, is he back? But since then, he, I just don't think he's been on it this entire season. To be honest, in in terms of the Son that we we've come to know over the last well, actually the, the Son I've come to know over the last three or four years, he's he's, he's in one of them current spells that he go, goes into. And this is just how it is. But also, I just want to say, how is Facundo Palistri starting at a World Cup? He hasn't even got <laughs> any minutes for United. Yeah, I don't. It's know, incredible. I don't know how that was. That's a thing. And I mean, he's played quite frequently for um, Uruguay in that right wing slot. Obviously, moves to a right wing back as well. So maybe that's part of the reason. Thinking the fact he can play at right wing back if you need to. I don't. I don't really know, but. 
I obviously don't think that he has the quality to play for Uruguay, really to start. And it really showed, because I don't, I don't think it was good really at all. Well, neither do United, even in Carabao Cup games where he usually play youngsters, he's not even got the, the chance in, in that over the last two or three years since he's been at the club. So pretty hard. And, and one that, you know, a, a decision in terms of starting him, maybe may one that Uruguay will come to regret. Yeah, and we'll go on to the final game, the final first set of games uh, in the group stages, and it was Portugal's 3-2 win over Ghana. Now this had... This was a good game. This for all the nil-nils. This for all the second half of the tournament. Yeah, for all the nil-nils, for all the boring games that we have seen a couple of times in the tournament, the likes of you know Denmark-Tunisia, um, this was very, very good. Uh, we'll start with the fact that your prediction of Cristiano Ronaldo not scoring a goal at the World Cup has proved incorrect. He scored a penalty. I said he'll score a penalty. You should have gone for... Open, uh, he won't score an open-play goal. And you thought, no, I'll be a bit bold. He won't score at all. First game, wins a penalty and scores it. Well, uh, I couldn't predict Silly Salazu just nibbling for absolutely no reason. It was just such a stupid tackle to make. But also, the contact is, for me, a little bit strange in the fact that he gets a little bit of Ronaldo, and that, that obviously makes him go down. But on, on a different occasion, the ref easily couldn't have given that penalty. Yeah. I'm absolutely saying Ronaldo is not going to score a goal and the hot takes you know going to come in. <laughs> yeah, obviously Ronaldo scored and it was João Felix and substitute Rafael Liao who joined him on the score sheet for Portugal. Obviously Liao came off the bench, made an impact off the bench and we've discussed whether he should start or deserves to start but won't probably won't start for Portugal. Showed what he can do when he's on the pitch. Um but I think the thing to note for me in terms of Portugal was at the other end of the pitch. First of all, Danilo Pereira at centre-back. He's played there a fair few times for, for, PSG. for PSG this yeah. season. Just want to know your thoughts on that. I think there's a, a Benfica player you might have preferred to see starting there. Uh, well, yeah, we said it in the preview. I've seen Antonio Silva live in the flesh for Benfica He at right centre-back. He was exceptional. And we, we saw today for, for Ghana's equaliser, you know, Danilo at centre back being at fault for the goal. Because, you know, Kudus gets to the byline and squares it, but it's, it's not, a, you know, a ball into the box with any sort of pace on it. And it just goes through Danilo's legs. He tries to clear it, but it somehow still goes through his legs. And Andre I was in, uh, you know, there for the easy tapping. Um, you know, potentially, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not Danilo's natural position. And, and Antonio Silva. Maybe he's a little too fresh for this World Cup. Maybe this is you know a few years too early for him. But based off Danilo's performance, I think that could be a potential option for Portugal. And also, I want to note on performance and form, do you think there's a chance that Diego Dallo comes in at right-back because of João Cancelo's inability to defend? Definitely. Massively at fault. I mean, yeah. if this was Trent doing it, he'd be... Twitter would be going mad yeah, this, and this it's is... comparable Cancelo and Trent's defensive ability yeah I mean this is definitely the hypocrisy of football Twitter isn't it <laughs> because Cancelo gets off so easily when, when it comes to this sort of stuff the, 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 you know, the, the, even though the 3-1 up at the time the, the, the second goal they conceded for, for Cancelo's sort of I don't know what he's doing he I'm just not, runs not, past yeah, the ball he just forgets the ball's there and he just thinks it's out of play and you can just sort of run past and just <laughs> I, I don't really know no one can really explain it but we've we've seen this a lot of times with Cancelo. He has huge errors in him, oh, yeah. which just don't really seem to be talked about whatsoever. 
because he's so good on the ball, which is you know the similar argument with Trent when when it comes to you know playing him and starting him for England. Um, but one thing I also do want to mention is Ghana go one all and then they take off Mohamed Kudus and Andreao, who both linked up for the for the equaliser. Such an odd substitution, yeah. I thought. Yeah. So strange. And ultimately, I think, what cost them this game. Well, another thing that potentially cost them the game, well, cost them getting a point in this game, is Inaki Williams slipping oh, at, in the last minute. So close. It, it, yeah, it was. it's one of those classic ones where the striker hides by the goal, uh, the keeper doesn't know they're there, they put up, roll it out on the floor, and then the, the striker nips in and then scores in the open net. Except for the part that when Anaki Williams gets to the ball, nicks it off Diogo Costa, he then slips over, missing the chance. Obviously, so cruel. He's obviously had this. You know, it's a great idea. Like, why not try something like this? And mm. you know, the Portugal defenders should just be screaming at Diogo Costa that look, there's a player behind you ready to score. Literally from but, from <laughs> uh, what do they call them? The uh, the pantomimes. That's it. He's behind. <laughs> do that. Help your help your teammate out. Um, but, and then just yeah, just just slips, gets to the ball and slips over, and that could have been the equaliser. At the end of uh, full time, he is just. Jeez, you can tell it. You look at his face. He's yeah, just like in shock, disbelief that this has happened. Just upset that you know he's he's cost his team there. Yeah. Can you imagine if Ghana miss out on second place or qualifying by a point? Yeah. Oh, oh, it's painful and. It's it's so just looking at the way he slips. It's like has he like missed? Is, is there no studs in his boots or something? Like how could he possibly just go and just slip over there? Is I'll be thinking about that slip all night, trying to go to sleep tonight because it's just such a painful moment. And you know, once again, Garner just on the receiving end of just some painful luck. Yeah, after. 2010, Suarez. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and well, I want to just point out something else from the game. Um, Bakari makes it 3-2 to Portugal. <laughs> well, no, he doesn't score for Portugal. He, oh, no, yes. He, he gets He's, a consolation. He, get, he gets a goal back for Ghana, um, yeah. just to make that clear. Um, this is in the 88th, 89th minute. Um, you know, we know that there's going to be a stupid amount of stoppage time in these World Cups because of how FIFA have decided to ref them. But it's instead of just getting the ball after scoring, he just goes to the corner to do Ronaldo's sue celebration. Obviously, Ronaldo's been taken off by Portugal. To do that instead of then and then celebrating one of the subs rather than just getting the ball and restart from kickoff. I like. Oh, I don't understand what he's doing. I think I think this is now the state of football in the Instagram era. He's thinking, <laughs> I've scored a goal. If I sue it, I can get a couple of likes on Instagram, can't I? <laughs> instead of awful. instead of thinking, wait, maybe I could get run back and get an equaliser for the team yeah, and get a for point. my country yeah. to help us get through to the next stage of the World yeah. Cup. Instead, he just thinks, Nah, I've got to celebrate this. I've made mm. it. I've made it three two. Yeah, come on. You know, oh, I just don't understand. If 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 that's the last minute winner, fair play. If if it was three two to Ghana that goal rather than to Portugal. Mm. Yeah, no. The, but, one of them baffling moments that we. I mean, it's, it's one of the moments that we will probably look back and go. Yeah, this was a funny World Cup. Do you remember when <laughs> Bakari did a sue for making it <laughs> like three two? Like that. Um, Iran player who did the tried to do the uh, roly poly throw yeah. in the last World Cup. Yeah. It'd be just like yeah, why didn't we see any of them against England? That yeah. could that could have been their secret yeah. 
Secret weapon. Um, well, but that, on that note, uh, it's time to end this episode. Again, like our preview episode, we've rambled on for quite a while, so we're not going to do guest baller this week. Um, but thank you very much for joining me, as ever, obviously, Jamie. Um, and we'll be back next week for after the second set of games in the group stages for the World Cup. So it'll be interesting to see what's happened between now and then, really. I think there's a couple of storylines to look out for. Obviously, Argentina, can they come back from their loss? Same with Germany. Mm. And the likes of Brazil, you know, England, Spain, can they continue their impressive form they showed in the yeah. first set of games? Can Wales, you know, batter Iran or will they? I mean, the, the, for them, it's must win yeah. tomorrow. Have, have to win. 10 o'clock. Well, they're not playing at 10 o'clock, but we're waking up <laughs> at 10 o'clock to watch. It's, yeah, it's going to be a huge game for them. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Batskull Podcast. We appreciate everyone who's been uh, tuning in. Oh, there's a little bit of a voice break there to end Got it. Got a little bit emotional, did um, you? Yeah. yeah. Um, we appreciate everyone who's, who's tuned into the episode, so thank you very much for your support. Um, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>